This is the Cash Valley Real Estate Podcast. Today's guest on the show is Max Fletcher. Max is a real estate agent, a house flipper, developer, and a buy and hold investor. For those of you that don't know Max, he's the second oldest in his family and was born 1990 in Salt Lake and then moved to Coos Bay area in Oregon where he grew up and he fished and scuba dived with his family there growing up. Um, he's very, while he was there, he's very active in his church and in Boy Scouts and he actually received his Eagle Scout Award before he was 16. For anybody that knows like the the Boy Scout program, it's pretty impressive if he's got the drive to get it done by 16 years old. Usually people <laughs> hold it out until they're 18 and get it done just last minute like, like I did. Um, so after graduating, he worked out there as a wildlife firefighter and then received a mission call for two years in Brazil. So upon completion of his mission, he went to school at Utah State University, where he met his beautiful wife, Elena. Sorry, how do you say his, say your name, Max? <laughs> it's uh, Elena. Elena. Okay. Elena Lim. And now he has four wonderful children. And Max is an entrepreneur at heart. He started a pest control company here local, EcoPro. That's right. It was here local? Yep. Right here in Cache Valley. Okay. And grew it for six years and then sold it July of 2019 as he started his transition into real estate. So reason I wanted to have Max on the show is he's a super high energy person and um, he's got a cool story getting into real estate. So I'm excited to talk to him. So how are you doing, Max? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on here. Yeah, for sure. So really my first question for you is tell us what caused you to make the transition into real estate when you were doing so successful at doing the pest control stuff? And that's a great question. I kind of actually just fell into it. I, anyone who's familiar with Logan, Utah, they know it gets very cold here in the wintertime. Um, in the wintertime for a pest control company isn't the best time. We deal with water and liquids. You need to apply that liquid to a structure used on the outside normally. Um, in the wintertime, it's not super necessary to get your house treated, especially on the outside. And, and so your income goes from, at least my company did, from $30,000 a month down to five in the uh, wintertime. And uh, that, that hurts. So you're usually, you're usually uh, laying off guys. And in, in the beginning years of my company, I actually had to get a second job during the wintertime just to be busy and things like that. And so when, when I'm looking for other ways to have income and to have a more stable life, this is in 2017, I started looking at houses, duplexes, fourplexes. How could I buy something and, and change my living situation? And so I found an off-market duplex there in Smithfield and I bought it. It was actually pretty cool. I used uh, this kind of this creative strategy back then where I only qualified for $135,000 back then for a house, which can you imagine buying a house in this market at that price? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, right? And uh, even at that price, it's hard for me to buy something. The reason why it was so hard is they wanted two years of good income. I think it's kind of silly that they want to see 
essentially three years ago, what I did in order to buy a house today. And that's what happened. And I ended up buying a house kind of a creative way. I bought a duplex with a current lease in place. And I was able to count one of those leases as income and allowed me to buy a house for a hundred and or that duplex for $170,000. So I bought that. And you know, and when, they, when they're paying 75% of your mortgage, it makes it a lot easier. And, I, and that's how I fell into real estate. And it's been great ever since. So cool. That's super exciting. So I've, I've heard that um, when you started looking at your first house, um, you bumped into a local real a person that does real estate here and they kind of told you a little bit about real estate. Can you tell us that story a little bit? I wasn't very experienced in real estate until I started going to Norea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started listening to all the podcasts from Bigger Pockets. And uh, in my dealings of pest control, I, I myself would, would occasionally get out. At this time, I had, you know, three or four full-time technicians, multiple, you know, I think mid four trucks. And I didn't do much of the actual servicing of my clients for pest control. But I happened to go to this one large, they had a large problem with mice in this house in Logan. And this is when I was listening to all these podcasts. I was gaining knowledge and information. And when I set up this house, there was a bunch of uh, cleaning ladies and this large dumpster out front. And the house was a disaster. Uh, it smelled bad of, of animal, you know, urine and things like that. And, and there was mice, just problems everywhere. And I was thinking, hey, this might be a good opportunity here. You know, what's going on? So I started asking these people, what are you doing here? And, you know, who are you? Do you live here? And, oh, no, I'm a cleaner. I'm a, a hoarder specialist or whatever. And I got in contact with the owner of the estate. There was an older gentleman living there. And he was kind of having some mental problems and needed to move out. And the family was eventually, they were essentially thinking, this house is just donezo. It's in such bad condition. And uh, they were looking for a way to get rid of the house. And I happened to be right there. And I said, hey, I want to buy it. And they were like, what? You want to buy this? Absolutely. And I didn't have the money then. What I did have is a HELOC. My property had a significant amount of equity already, my, my duplex. And so I had a HELOC for $48,000, which would give me enough money to rehab this, this house there in Logan, but I had no way to buy it. Um, and that's where, through my networking, I found out about hard money lenders. Uh, BJ Sparrow was someone that I met through the vine of networking. And anyone, anyone who knows a BJ, he's uh, probably one of the most well-known hard money lenders here in the Valley. For those of you who don't know what a hard money lender is, it's a, it's a high net worth individual that lends out his money for a certain percentage of interest, usually 10 to 12% with a couple of points. A point represents 1% of the loan. So on this particular loan back in 2018, um, I had hair before I did this. I, I, I took out a loan at 12% and three points. It was, uh, it was only $130,000, but 
1273 points. It, it's a short-term loan. And that alone, oh, man, gave me so much stress. So when that happened, I went into crazy mode. And in three months, we had the whole house dejunked, new roof, windows, flooring, paint. And just, I went crazy. I was personally doing most of the work. Yeah, we had, we had some contractors for, for, for some small things here and there. But uh, that was our, my, my, my first flip. Do you want to hear numbers at all? Or Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so bought it for 130000 um rehab was about 48,000 we sold it for 239 um you could do the math there it was my first one after that I got hooked you know mm-hmm. I I had made really good money until this point back then I was making roughly 35 to 40,000 dollars owning the company but I was able to put my real estate or my pest control company more on autopilot where I'd show up in the morning get the guys going. They go off and do their thing. I had an office lady around the scheduling and the routes and I was able to do something else. It was very much passive for, for the most part. And so I was able to do three months of hard labor and made a bunch of money. So you did the work At yourself that, mostly, huh? Oh, I did. Oh uh, my gosh. I can't. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I learned a lesson. I've done seven flips since then. And, uh, Depending on the situation, I've done none of the work or I've done, occasionally I'll do 50%. I, I, I'm really good at a couple of things. I don't think you should, back then I learned a lot, but you should only do what you're good at. I'm good at paint. So I have paint sprayers and equipment I can knock out of the house very quickly. So rather than pay someone a lot of money to do what I can do good, I, I do my own paint and flooring. I'm good at carpet and uh, LVP. I usually do those things and I'll do the roofing, but anything else, I usually hire out plumbing, electrical, windows, doors, essentially anything besides those things I might do because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I know it's kind of weird. I enjoy doing carpet and paint, but you put a book in your ear and you just start working and you have a good time. So, well, cool. So, um, I should have mentioned this a little bit earlier, but Max is actually part of Nuria that he brought up earlier. So that's a, an investor group up here. It's Northern Utah Real Estate Investor Association. And he actually Correct. serves on that board now, which is pretty cool. But um, so yeah, that, that's a really cool story. Um, what part of real estate are you most passionate about? Is it the doing the flips and the excitement of seeing you become successful in that? Or is it more working with... Um, buyers and helping them be successful what's your favorite part that's a great question originally um you know it kind of seems like as people get more experience in something they see more ways to make money and more ways to help people i have a firm belief that if uh i help someone it comes back around to help me and i've seen that a lot of my life so one of the things that i really enjoy with what i do as an agent or even as an investor, and how to buy a house in this market, I think the number one strategy that I like to help people with if they're willing to do would be house hacking. Have you ever heard of house hacking before? I have, yeah. And so I've, I've actually done that with two houses right now. Heck yeah, I love house hacking. I have so many clients that are building right now, bought a house, and we, we, we have a plan because you know they're buying a house 
for $500,000, they're a young couple with one kid. They don't want to afford that payment, but there's not very many options for them. So for example, I have a house right now that the client's building and that's the scenario. They are spending a little more money, but they're going to put an Airbnb in their basement. Um, their two bed, one bath house, you know, fully finished with the, with the walkout basement, extra parking stall on Airbnb. I see them if they're aggressive and they higher and lower the prices when things are vacant, I can see them bringing in $2,500 a month. Wow. You know, what would their, what would their mortgage be at 500,000? You know, isn't it like 2,500? That sounds there. something close, maybe even a little bit yeah. more, but yeah, ballpark something yeah. there. Yeah, definitely. So we're still a long ways from them closing on their loan, but there's a good chance they could have their mortgage paid every year by their Airbnb. They're super pumped. I've done this like almost 10 times over the last two years with different clients. And I get people excited because I'm very passionate about turning your, you know, people say housing is an asset. Well, it totally can be. And my definition of an, of an asset would be Robert Kiyosaki's definition. If it makes you money, it's an asset. If it costs you money, it's a liability. Sure, you can make an argument multiple ways of appreciation and tax benefits, but if it costs you money, you could lose it. Mm-hmm. And so when I help someone with a basement apartment or Airbnb or ADU and their life just changes because they have more money, their, li- their number one living expense is gone. I find a lot of joy and, and, and pleasure helping people figure out, learn, and accomplish that goal. So what makes you passionate? House hacking. I think that's super cool. Cool. On a, on a personal level, uh, a better way for anyone to increase their net worth. If you, uh, there's a number of things you can do, but I think real estate is one of those things you can touch and feel. If it's not performing, you can make it perform better. Mm-hmm. Whether investments, you're kind of hands off and you can't do much. So I really like that about real estate. Yeah, that's something that I've found. And I've heard other people say this too, but um, through owning the two houses that I own, I've definitely found that real estate can be very uh, forgiving for any mistakes that you make. It can be a nightmare at times and you've done absolutely. flips. I haven't got into that, but um, it absolutely can be pretty forgiving. So, so did you make any big mistakes when you were starting out in real estate um, at all? I've been kind of lucky. It's kind of weird to say that I haven't made any huge mistakes. I have made some mistakes. Nothing, all of my real estate investments have done very well. Um, I'm extremely conservative, you know, being that I'm I'm the only breadwinner of a family of six now, uh, where some people might do the deal, I won't. I have my criteria. If it meets my criteria, I'll do it. And I have extremely rigid criteria every time that I look at something. Mm-hmm. Um, mistakes I have made. Uh, over every uh, real estate deal, I've done a number of development. You know, I've done an Airbnb, a couple of buy and holds, and a couple of flips. Um, my very first flip. I'm going to ask your opinion on this. This is just what I thought made sense at the time. Mm-hmm. I was very uneducated. And this is what I did. So on my first flip, I partnered with two other guys. I was the majority partner at 50 and I had two partners at, at, at 25. Um, I had the experience. I got the hard money loan. I funded the entire 
rehab. Um, and the way we, the way that we split everything up is when it was all said and done, I got 50% of the profit and they, and they got 25. Um, I had all the risk. And the reason why this kind of turned out really bad and it wasn't a good idea. And I'll tell you how I do my stuff. My uh, structures now with flips, if I have a partner. Back then, I was the only one that had skin in the game. There's a couple of times where, you know, they weren't showing up. We all agreed for all three of us to show up, do the work, make it happen, and ended up where, towards the end, towards the middle of the flip, I was paying them because they needed money to live. So I was paying them money to live because <laughs> they needed some money. You know, I was uh, funding everything, and and I could tell by their motivation that uh like when i'm there by myself on the agreed upon time and no one's there yet mm-hmm. it's like oh you know how can i do how can i do this better and so literally it was very simple 50 25 25 when we're all said and done we split luckily these guys are awesome guys it's just you can see the motivation was a little different that was done wrong i shouldn't have done it that way now the way that i do it is everyone's always 50 50 partners Mm-hmm. but each person gets paid two ways ownership money and essentially um, in employee money. If you're working on the flip physically doing a job or you're managing the project or whatever you're doing on that deal, you, you'll get paid a normal percentage of that task. You know, if there's a contractor says he, he's willing to do this item for this amount and your bid's comparable, that's your money. But when it's all said and done, everyone gets paid equally and it's gone way smoother that way. And everyone's motivated. So if I do all the work, I make $30,000 more and the other partners are silent. And then we split the other 30. Everyone agrees to that. And it's just been way smoother because everyone's motivated to perform. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely That's does. One of my, that was one of my mistakes that I fixed. <laughs> other mistakes. I, 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 you learn a lot from mistakes, but I haven't really had too many to speak of. Good. Well, it sounds that's, like you have had really strict criteria for what you're taking on. So that that's an awesome thing. It's not a bad thing to not have a lot of bad mistakes to learn from. And I'm sure listening to bigger pockets and listening to, and yeah, listening to other people and networking, you learn a lot of mistakes that these other people are doing. And so you've been able to avoid a lot of that. So there's no problem with that at all. So this is more for like your real estate agent part of your, your work, but do you have a philosophy in what you do to attract or find new clients to work with? Philosophy. Hmm. Uh, Here's a question for you. Have you ever had a a client you didn't like working with? (laughs) Yeah, I think we all have. (laughs) Uh I've had a couple recently and when I first got my license, literally about almost exactly two years ago, I would assume this is normal to most agents. You'll take any client. Mm-hmm. You find someone, you just take them. Uh, now that I'm more experienced, I like people that care. People that if someone, I've had a couple of clients that didn't care when they called me at one in the morning and got mad I didn't answer, or uh, just some people can be, you know, just not very fun to work with. Mm-hmm. I try to vet them without them knowing, you know, hopefully they're kind and nice. I, 
I do a lot of service for my clients. I've, uh, so for example, for some of my listings, most agents wouldn't do this, but in one of my listings, it was a really cool family that I met and, and uh, they had some agents telling them their house is going to sell for about 290. And I have some skills that I knew, I, I knew they were going on a trip for a week to Disneyland or some resort like that. Uh, I went in and we had a little agreement where I got the listing from the other agent, but I went in and pulled out their really bad carpet that was smelling, put down a nice LVP floor and painted the main rooms and just gave it a good, a good facelift in one week by myself. Uh-huh. And, their, and their home sold for like $50,000 more. And this is before the market went crazy. But you know, things like I like serving people and I hope they have that same kind of mindset. It's the worst thing to just have people. A lot, a lot of people think, oh, oh, agents don't deserve what they do. And you uh-huh. can say there's an argument for some of that when you show two houses, they buy one, you make $15,000. And that was really easy. You're right. You know, there's an argument there, but sometimes you work so much, it doesn't feel like that $50,000 was worth it. Yeah. And uh, so, what was your question again? Is there a. A philosophy for a- yeah just like is there a philosophy that you have to attract or find clients to work with and on that note uh i think it's very important for people to know um themselves and i really prefer working with people or or, or, or clients they're usually a little more rough on the edges <laughs> really you know have i have i sold the glamour house a big nice million i have not not really my bread and butter. I like people that are have distressed houses. So kind of my whole thing is I am a home buyer first. Most people that I, so my whole strategy of finding clients right now, I, I normally chase listings, but that's where the money's at right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I chase houses that are in distress. Estates, um, people that are buying their payments and they need options. I have options. So I, I, I approach everyone as a home buyer. I want to buy your house. All my stuff says, I, I want to buy your house. And it's an easier, softer opening rather than I'm an agent. Oh, there's, there's 700 agents here in Cash Valley. Well, I'm a buyer. I want to buy your house. And so when I approach them in that, in that way, I get in the door. I'm their friend. I start solving their problem. And I lay out all of their options very clearly. And, uh, they get, they get to know me. And so you'll see a lot of houses that I sell. There's one hitting the market this week in, in Smithfield. They're rough. I tried to buy the house that, that wasn't the best option for them. So now I'm listing it for them. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my people that I like to work with are ones with my business are in a little bit of a tight situation. Usually the house is distressed. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it sounds like you pretty naturally fell into that little, uh, that niche into finding those rough properties. Yeah. It, it, and it's what I like. I get to do like I, right now I'm getting ready to take my big, my uh, big box trailer over to that house. I have, I have a large 30 yard dumpster getting put in the driveway today. And I have a crew showing up to clean out this hoarder house, get the carpets cleaned, the house fully detailed. I, I, I hosted two days of garage sales like three weeks ago. Uh-huh. I, I helped them sell their some of their large items, their RV and things like that. And they're oh, very fun. thankful because I just kind of took care of everything for them. And uh, now I'm selling the house. 
So how do you find these people to work with? Do you just drive around and look for more distressed properties or do you like buy lists online or anything like that? Um, a lot of it is just word of mouth. People kind of know what yeah. I do. Um, I have, I've had a lot of success in my sphere of influence. So my previous ward in Smithfield, my current ward in Millville in 2020, I was the number one agent in Millville with seven transactions in one year, just cool. in Millville. And it's because I just drove around and I, if I see a house, I'll figure out who owns it. If it usually if it's distressed, the lawn is in mode. The roof is looking like it needs to be redone. There's lots of garbage and things in the yard. I'll, I've done the address and I'll skip trace that owner mm -hmm. and just start mailing to them, knock on their door, say hi, usually become their friend. That's one way that works. Um, if you ever see those signs around town that say we buy houses, mm -hmm. some of those are mine. Oh, cool. I have put out some every door direct to mail campaigns where I just kind of, I, I choose a, a current mail route in an area that I like. And everyone in that neighborhood gets one of my flyers in the mail or I'll pay people to put up door hangers. Cool. So it sounds like you've tried a lot of different things. That's cool. I've tried a number of other things like going to uh, a senior center and playing bingo. <laughs> oh, that's you a know, cool idea. Yeah, go to go become the real estate guy and bring little prizes for them and become their friend that way. I haven't gotten any deals that way, but I've gotten some referrals that way. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, so-and-so wants to buy or something like that. That's so cool. I've never I've never yeah. heard of that. That's pretty awesome. Just trying to be creative, right? Uh-huh. Uh, what else have I done? You know, having things on your car, it actually works. I'll pull up to a gas station and right on my truck, it says, we buy houses. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, what do you mean? You know, and they'll talk to me and my mom's house, man, you should buy my mom's house. And I, sweet. I literally fall him from his, from uh, the gas station to his mom's <laughs> house. And, uh, and I ended up closing on one, you know, I've had people just stop oh, me in, in Home Depot parking lot. You should buy my land in, in Garden City. And it creates a conversation when you have that right on your shirt or your car. And it's, it's a much easier conversation. And you meet someone you if you meet someone you can uh, have that conversation and possibly get a deal that's why every time you'll see me i'll have a shirt or a hat or my car always says that's something to that effect on it oh i've got so many questions i want to ask you but i'm trying to figure out how much time we got um let's see i have some other creative deals that i could uh, tell you about that Probably you haven't heard happen this way before. Yeah, for sure. Shoot that. So uh, have you ever done any, any door knocking? I have. So I sold pest control for three years. So I did, okay. I've done a little well, bit of the, door knocking. You're the yeah. king of door knocking. Okay. I wish. Well, yeah. so I've done some door knocking. I'm, I'm not great at it, but it does. It, it is an effective way for me to sometimes meet people. Um, mm -hmm. This last year, one of my... Uh, Buddy's told me about a possible flip opportunity in Providence. And I went and knocked on the door and the person wasn't there. And so I decided to spend some more time knocking some doors. And I met this old guy. Say, hey, I want to buy your house. And I was like, my house is not for sale, but I have some land. Um, and this is my second development deal. Uh, a year ago, he had, he, he, he had 10 acres in Providence. Um, this was 
a much bigger project than what uh, I was comfortable doing myself. Mm-hmm. But I, I was working with him for a good six months as I was building credibility with him, coming, talking to him, just being his friend, you know, once a week, bringing him an old Grisma cookie or bread and, and uh, kept making him offers on his land. And finally, he just said, you know, let's, let's do it. I got 10, 10, 10 acres under contract in this market. A lot of times if you can get any land under contract for a decent price, I'm sure you can figure out some way to make money off it. Mm-hmm. At that time, the zoning on that, it's mixed use. Uh, mixed use calls for super high density. The whole point of that zone is for an aspect of retail, 20% and 80% can be multifamily. Um, cool. So I, I, uh, when I got into the contract, I scrambled to call all the builders, all developers. My ultimate goal, my goal is right now passive income. Just do, do something once, stabilize that asset and get paid for years to come. So all the builders were offering me very nice finder's fees. Like I, I could wholesale it to them. And, you know, I signed the contract, but I wanted a partner and I wanted someone that, you know, most people wanted to just put on three, 32 houses and make a million bucks when it's all said and done off of the, off of the development deal, essentially entitle the land or even develop the land and sell lots. Mm-hmm. Uh, my goal is there's this high density zoning. What can we do with that? I ended up partnering with a group here in town. They gave me a $75,000 finder's fee. And 5.5% interest if I assign the contract to them. Their current goal is to put on 75 townhomes, 12 single family, and two acres of that is going to be a retirement facility, probably assisted living and memory care. And I'm going to have a large portion of that in some action. That's awesome. That is so right? cool. What city did you say that was in? It's in Providence. In Providence. Wow, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so that was a fun one. Really enjoyed that one. Huh. Well, cool. So I want to be respectful of your time. So I'll try to keep the rest of our, our meeting to like 10 minutes or so. So I'll ask just like four, maybe five more questions. Um, and it seems like that these questions are all over the place, but um, I've never met your wife or any of your kids, but I already know by your demeanor that you have a very happy and successful family. They say you never know what happens behind closed doors, but sometimes you really can. What advice would you give to somebody that's attempting to balance their life with real estate and have a happy family life? Oh, that is a great question. You know, they say you can do three things well in life as far as um, organizing your time, okay? And if you try to throw in more things, other things are, are, are going to suffer, right? Mm-hmm. So I have decided in my life, the most important thing is my family, you know? Uh, and you could also say my savior, Jesus Christ. I, I know, guess this is Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I strive to make sure my family life, my work life, and my church life all have their time. And I serve accordingly in, in each one. Luckily, the way that I have set my life up, say I got up at nine o'clock. Okay. <laughs> it was a Friday. My kids didn't have school. Usually I take my kids to school. Today I got, I got to sleep in and uh, 
I try to make dinner twice a week. I try to have a date night once a week. Um, mm-hmm. I have found that if I'm serving my family and particularly my wife, I'm hungry and I'm making a snack for myself. I make sure my wife gets the snack as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're serving each other first, uh, there's just so many other things that fall into place. So I manage my time between my calling, my work. And, you know, I just, there's times where I'm extremely busy, but then I just make sure I have certain, every one of those boxes gets taken care of. Cool. If that answered your question. Yeah, that absolutely did. Um, there's actually a challenge that I've been a part of for just a little bit. It's called the non-negotiable challenge. And it's actually put on by um, Kevin Karchner. He's, he's a local guy here that's um, putting oh, it on. I love Kevin. He's awesome. Yeah, Kevin's a great guy. Um, and what it is, is you're supposed to spend, I think it's at least 10 minutes, um, but you're supposed to spend time every day focusing on your mind, your body, and your spirit. And that's exactly what you talked about. Uh, pretty close to what you talked about just now is you just make sure that those things are in order and the rest of your life just kind of falls into place and it gives you energy and you're happy and you aren't dropping any of those plates. So if you put focus in those places, um, it'll it'll lead into a good life. So that's really cool that you said that. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of sounds like the miracle morning, but yeah, I do a version of that. I don't get up super early though. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, except you're getting up at nine o'clock. That's killer. <laughs> well, normally it's eight, but uh-huh. I, I have a newborn as well. The sleep isn't great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So my wife and I don't have any kids and, but we're getting up at like five or five 30 so that we can go to the gym before going to work and trying to get in like a podcast while there or something, but I'm sure that yeah. will change when we have kids. I did that back in the day, but yeah. <laughs> I'll have to Not take anymore. some advice from you. Well, cool. Um, what books are you currently reading and or what books have you read that have most influenced your life? A book that I usually read every year because I like it and it's the mindset. Uh, ever heard of The Millionaire Next Door? Yes, I've read that one. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a simple one that just talks about who are America's wealthy? What do they do? They're generally people that don't have this extravagant, extra, how do you say that word? Yeah, extravagant, extravagant life, mm-hmm. extravagant lives. And uh, I try to make sure I represent that book and how I live. So I really like Teslas. <laughs> I pre-ordered a Tesla. Oh, I cool. canceled that order because I uh, decided that I wanted to work on some other things first. Um, mm-hmm. I don't buy new cars. I don't usually buy flashy houses. I buy fixed wrappers and I make them nice. Uh-huh. I live in a nice house. And so that's one thing that's really affected me. I make, I make sure that everything that I do, there's a number of financial decisions people can do in their life. Houses and cars are the two of the main ones mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, if you buy wrong, it can really hurt you. If you buy it right and it can be a very good financial decision. So there's that book is something that I really enjoy. It does mention my former career and my current career as uh, what do millionaires of, of the United States of America normally do? They're pest controllers. They own real estate. Two things that I've done, I, I kind of enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. One that I'm reading now, I am phasing more of my investing world into multifamily. So cool. there's uh, a couple of books on bigger pockets. Uh, the Millionaire Multi... The name of it, let me look it up real quick. By Josh... What is it called? It is the Josh Dorkin. Is that who wrote it? Yep. Yeah. It's uh, 
the multifamily millionaire there's volume one and two i'm in the process of reading those mm-hmm. um mike watson he's a big multifamily developer here in utah i'm i'm i paid for his two-day mastermind class come up here in the end of april oh cool um so my you know why do one or two doors when you can do 50 or 100 and so i'm trying to get into the bigger stuff right now reading all these books and getting my information up so i can tackle some more big deals cool it's cool that you're reading these books that just lead naturally like that apply exactly to where you are in life i feel like sometimes we try to um get too far (laughs) past the point or something like that i think you know what i'm trying to say yeah absolutely. but you're just reading things that you can implement in the moment that's awesome um what do you see happening in cash valley real estate in the next five years well uh one of the partnerships that i'm in that big multifamily project that we're working on in providence mm-hmm. they paid for a very expensive feasibility report and that report takes into effect this is a very, this is an expensive report where they look at a number of metrics in Utah, mainly Cache Valley, up into Idaho, and that re- that report. And this goes off a bunch of different metrics from uh, wage increases to appreciation in the market to cost of living, job growth. There's a million different metrics, but, you know, Cash Valley is, and when that, when that report was done last year, was the number two best small metropolitan market in the U.S. on all these different metrics. The only city to beat it was Idaho Falls. So if you're wanting to buy a real estate anywhere in the U.S. Um, in a smaller metropolitan area which is i think like under two hundred and fifty thousand, above a hundred thousand i think it was uh-huh. uh cash valley is as good as it gets wow that's super impressive um, in the event of a crash you know you'll see over the history of cash valley we're on a little bubble here when things are going crazy everywhere else we stay stable because of the kind of jobs that are here the big fact cheese factories and the large <laughs> university and, and it has a little bubble where it takes years for it to, to make its way up here. Mm-hmm. And even then it's not as, a, it's not as, it's not as affected as bad. So in the next five years, what do I think is going to happen here in Cash Valley? I think the market is going to stabilize. A stabilized market is the market that sellers can sell, buyers can buy. And it's, and it's a little easier than sellers can sell right now and buyers can't buy. We're not <laughs> yeah. the, right now we're not in the stable market because there should be 700 houses for sale here in Cash Valley, and there's 70. So I think it'll stabilize. I think interest rates are going to go up a little bit. It'll still be a great time to sell, not as good of a time to sell, but I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't foresee it skyrocketing much more mm-hmm. because the average family can't buy a house. Absolutely. So I think it'll stabilize and be strong. I don't think there's going to be any kind of a crash. I think you're pretty safe. The, 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 it, it's a true supply and demand. There's kind of demand, not much supply. There is no bubble. People aren't buying bad loans, stated income loans. It's mm-hmm. true supply and demand. So I wish that I would make my job easier. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh-huh. No, I think you're very safe to buy real estate in Cash Valley. Well, cool. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Super good advice. And personally, I'd hate if I got this question on a podcast and was just put on the spot. But is there any last words or things that you'd like to add to um, anything that was said today? Um, my comment to that would be try first to add value to someone and the money will follow. I spend a lot of my time, I literally spend a couple of days a week serving people, helping so-and-so client who bought a house with me on their new floor. I'll go and help them put it in. I'll do, I just serve people and in so doing, they like me and then, I, then the money part just comes along. Just serve them. I think this podcast is a great service. I'm mm -hmm. very excited to look at all those different podcasts of people that I know and see what they're doing. Serve them first, money comes second. Cool. No, that's, that's some awesome advice. Thanks for sharing. Um, last question before we, we get out of the podcast, how can people connect with you? Um, I'm happy to take a phone call if I can give my number. Um, I'm not huge on social media. I do have a Facebook account, but uh, I'm on it maybe three, three times a week tops. Okay. Many for buying and selling things, but uh, my phone number is 435-799-1902. My email is if I don't answer when you call, I do get a lot of phone calls. It's max, M-A-X-F as in Fletcher, dot real estate at gmail.com. Maxf dot real estate at gmail.com. Cool. Well, I'll get both of those put in the description of the podcast and hopefully you don't get a bunch of spam calls or anything from that, but we'll get it in there. Always willing to help. Hey, <laughs> not a problem. Well, cool. Thanks for being part of the podcast. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I think I learned a ton from you and I'm definitely going to go back and listen to this a couple of times. Thanks for being part hey, of it. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure.